Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Tom Adams here today. And because it was such a hit just a few weeks back, we've decided to bring back the three-man booth today because we have got a hell of a lot to talk about. If you're a Bayern fan, you probably already know there's been a lot of stuff happening. There's been a lot of movements in the transfer window and the transfer market as we get set to head to the U.S. for our preseason tour where we take on D.C. United Manchester City. But nonetheless, that three-man booth I'm referring to other than myself, I am joined today by the famous I Need No Name and Schnitzel. So how are you gents doing on this fine Sunday? I'm doing okay, I guess. I mean, Lewandowski just left and that's kind of been a bummer. And I don't know, we're going to talk about it. So I'll leave my opinions on that for a little bit later. Yeah, and I'm just trying to wrap my, my, wrap my head around everything that's been going on with Bayern in the recent weeks. I still haven't really processed everything yet. So It is. It has been a lot. And as Ian just mentioned, that is the big piece of news. Robert Lewandowski, Bayern Munich has finally agreed on a fee with Barcelona, which is finally just right around that 50 million euro mark that Bayern has always been asking for from the get-go. Not really sure why it took them so long to offer us that because we were very clear with the fact that that was the only thing we would be accepting. But nonetheless, Lewandowski will be leaving after so long for the club, getting him from free from Borussia Dortmund in 2014. And his reputation at Bayern Munich goes without saying. I mean, he's won just about everything here, but he was hell-bent on leaving and really wanted to start a new chapter. So I guess we have to respect him for that. But the implications of what this means for Bayern Munich, Julian Nagelsmann, uh, and the tactics that he's going to employ this coming season moving forward uh, is very, very, very great. There's a lot of things that are going to be moving around. We've had reports suggesting Nagelsmann is very hell-bent on using both Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane as center forwards because we're not exactly going to get a quote-unquote like-for-like replacement for Robert Lewandowski. Elsewhere in the transfer market, we're still trying to get Matthias Delict over the line from Juventus. As we know, Hassan Salihamidzic last week was in Turin to have initial discussions with Delict's representatives from Juventus. And when he was asked in the airport about how it went, he just said he felt talks went good. And that's really all he gave us. Brazo has been really, really tight-lipped and coy pretty much about everything in this transfer window. So you really never know. We've turned down Cristiano Ronaldo once again. Seems every club is doing that. We've had our first bid of 30 million euro, or it might have been a little bit less than that. One of you gents can correct me. For Conrad Leimer, rejected by RB Leipzig. Nagelsmann still wants to get him in this summer uh, as the player definitely wants to leave RB Leipzig. And we're still even linked with Rennes' uh, Matty Tell, who eventually could be a Lewandowski replacement, but I think obviously we know with his young age and uh, a lack of a resume, so to speak, not quite exactly a like-for-like replacement. So, gents, a lot to digest, a lot to digest. And we've still got uh, a little under, or I should say a little over a month, actually, until the transfer window closes. So a lot can happen. I know we want to try and get everything done before this U.S. preseason tour or as close to it as possible. I know it's kind of mini, but our season pretty much starts after next weekend. We have the DFL Super Cup against RB Leipzig and then the season and then the weekend after, excuse me, Bundesliga starts against Eintracht Frankfurt. So a lot of time in the window, but not a lot of time before the start of the season. We want to get everything done. So I just want to hear your reactions as far as Lewandowski leaving. I know it's sad for most Bayern Munich fans. The writing was on the wall. We saw this coming. Uh, I think it's safe to say. But tactically, what do you like? Are you guys confident and OK with the fact that Nagelsmann wants to now use Gnabry? And Mane as center forwards, are you concerned with this? Are you worried? Do you have any faith at all in this? And just what are your thoughts on that? I, I just want to hear what you guys feel about this, because this is the first time Bayern Munich is going to be playing without an outright number nine for uh, as long as I can remember. OK, yeah. so that's a big question. And I guess I'll go first. And I said in the comment section of the article that you wrote, by the way, Tom, where you said that Gnabry and Mane would be used as center forwards. and Honestly, I said that we are screwed. I didn't use that word ex- specifically, but I need to mark this podcast as not explicit. So yeah, we are not going to be okay without Robert Lewandowski. Okay. Um, just people need to understand that when you lose someone who can score 50 goals a season, there is no way that you're going to be okay. That is an immense number of goals to lose. Robert Lewandowski in the Bundesliga alone scored more than some of the bottom place teams overall. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Once losing him like is like almost starting every single game with minus one goals compared to last season. He basically guaranteed us at least a goal a game. And guys like Mane and Gnabry, they will have to 
really step up if they want to be anywhere near the kind of production that Lewandowski offered while only taking one slot in the lineup. People are saying that we can make up his production by using combinations of players up top by having Coman, Mane, Sané, Gnabry, etc. But like when one person leaves, you can only put one person back in the lineup to make up for it. And that one person, if they don't match the production, then you're going to see an overall decline in production unless you see everyone else also increase their production. And I don't see everyone at the club increasing their production because Lewandowski left. Because the way Bayern Munich was set up, it wasn't like we were always just funneling chances to Lewandowski and always just setting him up to score. We were set up as a team that can score from anywhere, but Lewandowski was a focal point. I don't see us getting more goals from the wing now that Lewandowski is gone. I don't see us getting more goals from the midfield now that he's gone. I only see us maybe getting a few more goals from Thomas Muller because maybe he will take up that responsibility again now that Lewandowski is no longer here. But other than that, I'm really worried about where goals will come from next season. I don't see how Nagelsmann will tackle that specific conundrum. I'm I'm genuinely very worried. Schnitzel? Yeah, I completely understand Anidoname's sentiment. And I definitely also believe that Lewandowski is a massive, massive loss. And contrary to popular... Like a popular line of thought, which is that Lewandowski leaving can be adequately replaced with uh, a combination of false nines or wingers turned attackers or inverted wingers or whatnot. I don't think it's going to be that straightforward, especially considering, as you mentioned uh, beforehand, Bayern Munich has been playing with a proper number nine or a you know central striker for like as long as we all can remember. And we've had some of the best nines in the world to play for Bayern Munich, including Gerd Müller and of course Robert Lewandowski. So replacing this guy is going to be so difficult. I don't think we actually will succeed in replacing him properly, considering we don't really have a proper number nine in the roster right now, outside of Chupamoting, who is obviously one of the best strikers in the world, but he's also <laughs> he's injured. And uh, I hope he recovers quickly because it's, it's a possibility that we might need him early in the season, considering we don't have someone to take the number nine role. But that being said, I think Nagelsmann has no choice but to tinker with some of the other options that he can deploy at the striker position, including Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane. And I don't think Mane or Gnabry should be playing, you know, alone on the pitch as an isolated striker, because I don't see them scoring that many goals with, you know, pretty much any part of the body like Robert Landowski did. Beat headers, beat with the feet, beat with the chest, bicycle kicks and, you know, shots from outside the box. He was a jack of all trades and a master of them all as well. But like with the rest of the wingers, you can't say the same. So I think Nagelsmann should probably adopt a lineup where you see a combination of two or more such players. So Mane and Gnabry starting at the forward position, flanked by, I am sorry to say this, Thomas Miller on the wing, because it's not possible to deploy him as an attacking midfielder if you have two wingers and two strikers, because then you'll only have one lone pivot at the six. And that is a massive defensive liability has been seen uh, sometimes under Hansi Flick and under Nagelsmann. And we also have seen that Joshua Kimmich cannot do it alone at the six, taking all that defensive responsibility because then he has to lose some of his offensive output that he's known for. But that being said, I believe that this is a period of transition for Bayern. And we always knew that Lewandowski was going to leave us at some point. It just hurts to see it happen so soon. But I think that Bayern might have to reshape the lineup, rethink everything, and we might find a solution. Although I definitely think we're going to score less goals than we normally do next season. Yeah, obviously, with both with what both of you guys said, I can't imagine either Gnabry or Sadio Mane, despite scoring over 20 goals in all competitions for Liverpool last season. I know in is just going to roll his eyes since I've already mentioned Liverpool once again. But interestingly enough, I always felt that as far as the goal distribution is concerned, Salah is always the one getting the main credit at Liverpool. And even Diogo Jota stepped up for us quite a bit this season. Even Luis, Luis Diaz, I'm still to this day shocked with how quickly he started to be an impact player for Liverpool. I'm very excited to see how he does this season. But with that said, I always wondered if that took away a little bit from Mane's production. Uh, when Salah was going through his rut towards the end of this season, he didn't really, in my opinion, seem to come out of it until the Champions League final. But obviously, Thibaut Courtois was just playing like a god all of a sudden, which I'm still very frustrated about in that Champions League final. But I wonder if the fact that now he doesn't have a, a Jota, Luis Diaz, or a uh, Mohamed Salah in the ranks 
will he actually be producing more, especially if he's used as a center forward? I know we could still just make the argument he's coming over and now he's going to be playing with uh, Muller, Gnabry, Kingsley Coman, Leroy Sané, Jamal Musiala. I mean, you know, it's the conundrum for Nagelsmann. How do you fix all of these guys and keep all of them happy and work all of them in? Obviously, there's always going to be an odd man out. And of course, in Germany, we don't have uh, an extra cup competition like they do in England with the Carabao Cup, a.k.a. the Mickey Mouse Cup. But obviously, since Liverpool won it last season, it was one of the biggest trophies ever. And I, I very, very much cared about it. Uh, uh, it's a tin pot trophy. Just tin pot. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I joke that pretty soon, you know, it's been the Carling Cup, the Capital One Cup. Back in the day, it used to be the Worthington Cup. Pretty soon, it's just going to be like a um, top like meat pie shop. We cup. are. Yes. This is not a Munich podcast. Show. Yeah, any any chance to make a joke, though, I mean, it's pretty Speaking funny about Liverpool, though. Didn't you guys just lose to Man United Fonal recently? Hey, it's preseason. <laughs> it's preseason. Yeah, don't worry. Is amazing, amazing compilations. Excuses. Yes. Yeah. D- don't just just do yourselves a favor. Don't don't even mind uh, Nunez skying that effort from just outside the six over the uh, crossbar. He's like the Uruguayan Lukaku. So, well, you know, it's a joke, too. Whatever that trophy was named, like now Liverpool's going to have to wait like 100 years guys, to win it guys, off Man United. Guys, can we focus? <laughs> but yes. And so, obviously, just to segue off of Schnitzel's point, a lot of us, so I'm going to toss this back to you, gents. We've, we've heard 4-3-3, Nagelsmann has held bent on, and now even the 3-5-2. Schnitzel just brought up the point of Gnabry and Sadio Mane playing as that that front number two. But what what does this mean for Thomas Muller? He obviously seems in these lineups like he is going to be the odd man out. And we still don't know, are we going to be bringing in uh, Matty Tell? If we do, how does that work in? Because he's clearly going to be a squad player by the looks of it if we do wind up doing that. Because are you going to tell Gnabry, Mane, Muller, Musiala, Sané, Coman, any of these guys that Tell would be starting over them? I, I realistically don't think that that's the case. So with that said, whether it is a 3-5-2 or a 4-3-3, whether that's with Tell, with Conrad Limer, with Matthias Delict, or without all three of those guys, and it's just with Gnabry uh, and Mane playing up top. What I mean, both of, both of you, I think all of us agree that the production of goals individually from Gnabry or Mane is nowhere going to be nowhere close to Lewandowski. That, that's enough said. He's one of the best to ever do it. I don't think any Bayern player is going to score 42 goals uh, in any given season anytime soon. I would love to be proven wrong, as I'm sure both of you gents would and a lot of Bayern fans. I would love for that. I, I would welcome the opportunity to be proved wrong. But just to lodge this question to you guys, first, I feel like just a few episodes ago, we were talking about the 4-3-3. I think I might have been talking with Teddy or maybe even Schnitzel about the 4-3-3. But and it was Teddy himself who was just uh, telling us before this pod, you know, we have news now that Nagelsmann with his video board and his video wall is now kind of preaching a 3-5-2 potential system with, with wingbacks and then the two up top. What do you think that that would, that would mean for Bayern Munich? And who do you kind of envision playing where with that lineup? And I know what In's answer is going to be because I know how he feels about a back three, but do you think it would work with the personnel that we presently have, whether we get any of those three players that I've mentioned that we're still linked with. Um, listen, if Nagelsmann uses a back three, he's going to be five by October. <laughs> oh, I'm, really? I'm, really? Um, October? I'm not, jo- I'm not joking. Okay, this is the worst news I could have ever seen at this point in time. Like, look, a three-five-two is a horrible formation. It is. It has no redeeming qualities. Okay, in modern football, I do not know why Nagelsmann would ever plan to use it. It is easily pinned back by any modern team. It doesn't offer any advantages in possession. It doesn't offer any advantages in build up and it wastes our amazing squad. Look at how you have to set up a three, five, two. Okay. You have three center backs. Our squad is kind of light on center backs to use in a three, five, two. All we have is Lucas Hernandez, Jati Bumacano and Benjamin Pavard. Even if we buy uh, Matthias Delict, that is just four center, four starting quality center backs for three spots. That is not going to work. I mean, how are you going to have only four center backs for three spots? You're going to have to switch to a four-man back line eventually. Then you have the wing-back question. You have Davies. Davies always starts if he's fit. And then on the right side, you have Matsurawi. But then the formation of a 3-5-2, it doesn't use wingers. So even if you have... Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane, who are wingers, starting up top as centre-forwards. Where does Leroy Sané play? Where does Kingsley Coman play? They can't play as centre-forwards, and they can't play as wing-backs. So are they just going to be on the bench all the time? Does that make any sense? Those guys are 
like highly paid players. They are making like 17 to 19 million a year. You can't just have them on the bench all the time. And then there is the midfield. We have enough midfielders, in my opinion, for uh, midfield three. But what will that midfield three look like? Will it be a dual pivot at the bottom with Goretzka and Kimmich and Thomas Muller behind the two strikers? Or will it be like a 4-3-3 type midfield where there's one DM and two central midfielders, neither of which is Thomas Muller? If Thomas Muller is not in the lineup, I've already said it, it's a disaster. The coach will be sacked within a few months. It's not going to work. And if he is in the lineup, I don't see how it's going to really work because you already have two center forwards, a third, a third in Thomas Muller. Like he is almost like a second striker. He's always roaming inside the box. How is it? How, how is he going to do his usual round ordering role in the right house space when there are no true wingers and you have two center forwards occupying the space that he normally would. And there is a massive gaping hole behind him where midfielders would normally be. These things all come together for me to decide that 352 is just not going to work for Bayern Munich, no matter how much Nagelsmann might want to experiment with it. This feels like some kind of experiment that he's going to try right at the beginning of the season. And then like two, three weeks from now, we'll be stuck with Chupo Moring starting at center forward in a 4-2-3-1 because that's our best option. It remains our best option to have standard 4-2-3-1 with the center forward, even if that center forward is not Robert Lewandowski. It looks like Schnitzel is raring to respond, so we're going to give him the floor. Yeah, so I just wanted to say that I understand Ains' concerns, and I think they're very valid for once. I mean, for once. The negativity oh, is, yeah, all right. The, neg- the negativity is like well-grounded, so I don't really blame him this time. But that being said, I think that a lot of it hinges on whether we sign Matty Tell and whether he's able to produce from the get-go or not. Because A, if we end up signing him and he ends up being a huge return on the investment by like just, you know, scoring goals from the very beginning, then we're in for a huge season. So you but think say, he'd start a lot over uh, I don't think so. and Mane? As of now. No, I don't think so. As of so now, he, you, you would assume he'd experience. be like a bit part kind of squad player? Yeah, I think okay. he might get minutes every now and then for his development. But then I believe that it's possible after his first season at Bayern, he might be loaned in order to get more minutes because he's still very young. And he's only played like 50 minutes in the top flight in France. So I would assume he needs a lot more, you know, uh, training and a lot more uh, experience as a first team starter in a top league in order to be Bundesliga ready. But that being said, uh, I think I have a lineup solution for Bayern going ahead this season. And I'm also planning to write an article about that. So you guys can, you know, watch out for that later. I propose a 4-2-2-2 lineup. And no, I know that no, have, no, uh, no, hear me out. let's hear, hear him out. out. Let's hear him yeah. out. I know okay, we I'll, I'll hear you out. Yeah, I know we haven't seen this much at Bayern. I mean, we have probably never seen it at Bayern, but like it is the kind of lineup that we have seen during transitions, but not as a lineup that starts from the very beginning. But I have seen it in clubs like Freiburg, Norwich. I'm sorry if Leipzig. Not, yeah, RB Leipzig sometimes. And uh, they do executed pretty well. So my reasoning for this is, firstly, let's get the obvious out first. We get to start two players up front, Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane. And we aim to replace Lewandowski's output with two players who can score quite a lot of goals. So say Sadio Mane and Serge Gnabry each contribute around 15 goals in the Bundesliga alone, which is pretty fair to expect from two players who are like just really good at scoring goals. And if Sadio Mane doesn't score 15, I'd consider him a bust because that is terrible. He's supposed to score at least 20 a season. At least that's what he was doing at Liverpool. So I'd expect I can him attest to, be to that. Yes, he was quite productive. Yeah. So <laughs> if he doesn't score 20, I'd consider him a bust. But that being said, if they contribute around 30 goals and they also assist quite a bit, especially Mane, he's pretty good at crosses, unlike <clears throat> Leroy Zane. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> but like, yeah, uh, if, if they can produce and combine to score goals, that'll get a lot done for Bayern at the, in the attacking department. The 4-2-2-2 also ensures that Thomas Miller gets to start. And see, at the beginning, I think Thomas Miller would start at the central attacking midfield position and then drift to a wider role. And the reason is, I think Thomas Miller and Leroy Zane should start behind Mane and Gnabry because they're both half-space players. They can exploit the half-spaces. And why this will work out really well is because all four attackers in that formation will be able to combine and interchange their position. All four can play on the wings. All four can play in the forward position. Thomas Müller is really good at the cent- as a center forward, as we saw for Germany in the 2014 World Cup. We also know that 
Leroy Zane can really score goals from the middle. And we have seen him do that at Man City. He scores goals through uh, the offense. He does drift in from the wing, but he can score goals at the central position as well. And he's very good at exploiting half spaces. So if you give these players this formation, they might be able to combine really well and form a cohesive unit. It's kind of unlike what Bayern is used to because we just cross and inshallah with Lewandowski. But like in this case, it is more like every player has a major part to play. So we could expect all of them to score and all of them to assist. And the most important part of this formation is that you get the back four. And in would be satisfied to hear this bit alone because you have Davies. If we sign delete, Matthias delete, then obviously uh, Hernandez, who also starts alongside Davies, and on the right, Mazraoui. And I think if we sign delete and if you're starting a back four, Benjamin Pava needs to go or probably Upamakano, one of those two, because two players will have to be benched all the time. Two really top quality centre-backs. Go and as in leave the club or just be benched? I, I don't want them to be benched because that's unproductive. So I'd rather we sell one of our centre-backs in that case. And I think Upamakano and Pavard, either of them can fetch us quite a lot of money. So we, if we sign delete and if we are aiming for a back four, we should sell one of those two players. So you're definitely and, saying Ma- Masraoui start over Pavard on that right side in a back 100%. four. All right. Okay. I think Ian will probably agree with you. You know, <laughs> we've been waiting for an attacking fullback for ages now. And Mazraoui, from the compilations I've seen of his time at Ajax, he is the right back that Bayern has been looking for. At least going forward, he's so good. His crosses are good for a change. Imagine a Bayern right back crossing after Philip Lam and Joshua Kimmich. Oh God, I miss those days. And you also have him being quite defensively stable. So I think he offers the best of both worlds. So I think he should start unless something goes horribly wrong. And in the midfield, it's very simple. Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. So that is my argument for the 4-2-2-2. And I think it might work out if Nagelsmann implements it right. But that being said, if he does start to tinker with the lineup like we've seen him do sometimes, you know, Zabitzer at left back or Davies as a victor <laughs> or Leroy Zane and Thomas Miller sticking close to each other, that's going to be a mess. So it's going to take a lot of acumen and new to, ex- uh, to uh, execute this lineup. But I think Nagelsmann could do it if he really sets his mind to it. And do you see uh, Ryan Gravenberg working in occasionally in one of those spots with uh, okay. Kimmich and Goretzka? So Leon Goretzka will inevitably get injured this season at some point. <laughs> and, That's a good good estimation, and, and, quite honestly. And Ryan Gravenberg uh, will probably get at least three or four months of starting starting time duty because we know how injury-prone Goretzka is. Too much muscle on top. Is do you think that's what it is? <laughs> no, I just I just think that uh, he somewhat has I don't know what it is exactly, but like initially he wasn't as fragile. But as time has progressed, he has been playing. I think it was last season or the season before. It was just fifty two percent of the games. I think it was last season. Remember, he yeah. had like a a knee problem, Pretty and then he played through uh, Derek Lasker. You remember the famous three two, uh, the whole Felix uh, Zweier game. He played through that, I think, about 60 minutes um, and then just never quite came back from it. Mm. that patellar issue that has even bothered him from the season, the season, excuse me, previously. If you recall from the documentary when he's given it the acid test, he really wants to push himself and the physios are like, hey, like this is a really dangerous call. We don't think you should play in this game. I, think, I don't remember if it was against PSG or whoever it was. But. Yeah, I think Inn's going to agree with me here. I, I think Goretzka has regressed the past season and I think Van Gravenberg might actually be able to supplant him from his lineup if he continues his trajectory. I know that's like a pretty hot take, but interesting. I, I feel like Leon Gretzka has lost some of, you know, his usual mojo that he really, you know, the things that he really excels in doing for Bayern. And I hope he comes really? back because Joshua Kimmich is starting every game. That oh, is guaranteed. Like so guaranteed. It, it only depends on who starts with him. And if Gravenberg continues to be the player that he is for Ajax, then he is in for a lot of minutes. Uh, there it is. I was going to say, I am shocked. I haven't seen in clamoring to respond because Schnitzel, I was going to say, if on the team sheet, you know, uh, where it actually shows the formation and not just the personnel, I feel like uh, in's eyes would just be stinging if he saw Muller in a wide role behind two strikers. Uh, and I really wanted to hear him respond to that. And it looks like, and I'm sorry if this that's not what you wanted to retort to, but I'll kind of give you the floor because I want I kind of want to hear what your thoughts would be on Muller in one of the second set of two in a 4-2-2-2, as uh, Schnitzel had proposed. Okay, so I have been listening to Schnitzel very carefully for the last few minutes. And I am sorry to say this, Schnitzel, but your 4-2-2-2 formation 
it is basically just a 424 with extra steps. If you're sending Thomas Muller and Leroy Sane drifting out wide to support Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane, you have basically reinvented the 424, but with very new flaws that don't exist in our normal 4231 formation. First of all, you're putting Muller on the wing. That is not a good idea, honestly. Like, I get it. He, his numbers on the wing are honestly world-class, even among wingers. So that is not the issue. The issue is that on the wing, he influences the game a lot less than he can when he's in his normal central role. And after losing Lewandowski, we cannot afford to diminish Muller's influence on the team. That is something that cannot happen. The other problem I have to point out is with in a 4-2-2-2, man, what a mouthful. You, you it have sounds to, weird when you say yeah, it out loud. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so what you have to do is you need your wingbacks to provide all your width. But like if Davies and Masraoui are constantly providing width, how are they going to track back when we face the normal winger fullback combos that are so common in the Bundesliga that are so good at counterattacking and going down the flanks and attacking down the flanks. Guys like Philip Kostic come to mind. When we face those guys, what are we going to do when they are face-to-face with just two centre-backs at the back? Normally, what teams do is that they stick a defensive midfielder between the two centre-backs and have him stay there as like cover, additional cover for the centre-backs. But that's not what we're going to do because Yozo Kimmich, he doesn't play that way as a DM and... If he did play that way, honestly, I don't see what advantages that would offer in comparison to a standard 4-2-3-1 with actual wingers and fullbacks where the fullbacks don't have to go up as far. The wingers can do their own thing. And we have one center forward rather than two and Thomas Muller in his usual position. This is one of the reasons why I don't like any of these weird solutions that constantly keep coming up. Stuff like the 3-5-2, the 4-3-3, this, that, etc. Because honestly... They seem to be answering questions that no one asked, okay? That is my entire thing. And I guess well, both of you want to say a, something, so go go ahead. Yeah, in a in a 4-2-3-1, if Bayern does use that formation this season, who do you think starts at the centre-forward position? Sadio Mane. Unless we buy Matt Hittel and he ends up being the greatest striker in the history of football. Otherwise, Sadio Mane. So you're saying that starting Sadio Mane alone as a striker is a better option as opposed to having a 4-2-2-2? He's technically wow. not going to be alone because Thomas Muller is effectively a second striker when he in a 4-2-3-1. And Gnabry is not in the starting lineup in that situation, or is he on the road? Yeah, because I cannot see a formation where you leave Kings... Like, Gnabry might start, but I cannot see a formation where you leave Kingsley Coman out of the lineup. I agree, especially because Coman was just so productive in the Rook Runda last season. But at the same time, we've got in uh, Gnabry to sign this lucrative new contract. Um, and I don't know, one of you, one of you gents can correct me. Is it still, was it still just right around 19 million, uh, million euros per year as it had been like originally offered the whole time and he just didn't accept it? Or was it uh, slightly lower? I think it was I like he, 18 or 19. I mean, in for, he's, he's in that same salary bracket as Sonny and Coman. So they're all uh, yeah, in the same say, boat. So. Yeah. Now, obviously, one of the higher earners at the club, especially now that Lewandowski is gone, and it's actually funny, in one of the comments for one of the pieces on our website, I think someone was like, uh, Gnabry was just waiting to see if Lewandowski would definitely leave. And when he found out, he's like, all right, yep, let's accept this contract, because I think he knows now that he can be used more centrally. And it is kind of odd. Like I, I, I think it's interesting. None of us have mentioned Yakim Love and Hansi Flick's Dimanshaf setup is different uh, than what we have going at Bayern, but you guys can probably recall, like Gnabry has had a lot of success as the center forward for Germany in very sporadic spells, I should add. Uh, this isn't something that's like sustained or continued, but it has worked uh, for both Joachim Love. And it sounds weird saying that in recent times it worked under Joachim Love uh, with Germany, but um, I'm not sure how many times it's happened with Hansi Flick. But I mean, Timo Werner really is the only uh, striker, if you will, if you want to call it that, uh, in the German setup for I'm, the national team. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even call him a natural striker. He just, with what he does with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea, like in that system, he just does work so well as that most advanced player. And I think case in point, you know, that uh, 2020, sorry, 2021 Champions League final was uh, one of his best performances in that position, obviously scored the winner there. And he's very productive for both Chelsea and Germany. No, go ahead. Havertz isn't a natural striker. I don't believe Timo Werner is either. I think Werner is more like an inverted winger turned striker. So... (laughs) I believe Havertz has a better uh, argument for starting at the center forward position than Timo Werner. 
and Gnabry. Why is he talking about Bayern? Well, um, yeah, that's my, my point was like Gnabry. I, I do wonder if that played into it. I personally think it may be only a, a minuscule part, if even that, as far as like he knew Lewandowski was going to be leaving. And then once it really accelerated and become, became clear that Lewandowski would be piecing out for Barcelona, he decided to sign that contract, perhaps knowing um, I don't know if we've ever heard from the player himself whether he prefers to play uh, right, left, or centrally. Get, uh, we did get reports that like they just came out today uh, from Philip Kessler, I think, that Lewandowski leaving was one of the factors for Gnabry signing extension because now he knows that he ah. can play center forward as well. There I we should go. point out that this is a massive win for Gnabry because now he can, at club level, show what he is capable of at center forward and therefore show Hansi Flick that he deserves to start at the center forward position because so far Hansi has not used Gnabry at center forward ever. He has stuck with Timo Werner or Kai Havertz and Gnabry has been almost exclusively a winger like he has played at Bayern. So, and as a winger, he has been recently outclassed by Jonas Hoffmann. So yeah. Gnabry had something to prove this season and he has been given a golden chance to prove it. So I can see exactly why he extended on top of his huge, huge salary increase. But look, you guys, you, you keep talking about what is possible with this and that. And I have to say that, look, these are solutions that seem to be creating more problems than they solve. Because if we completely change our system and try and keep up with the number of goals that we scored with Robert Lewandowski in our team. It's not going to work, okay? It's just not going to happen. If we do, we are going to sacrifice somewhere else, for example, the defense or the midfield or whatever. And trying to find a weird solution at this stage when we have a shortened preseason and a World Cup in the middle of the season and no real winter break, that is just not going to happen. Instead, honestly, what I think Nagelsmann should do Stick with the 4-2-3-1, stick Sadio Mane in the center forward role. And maybe if we get Matty Tell, then use him as a super sub and just to get him some minutes and then just do things by the book. Okay. What needs to improve is the defense. You don't need to score three goals a game as long as you keep clean sheets. We struggled to keep clean sheets the last two seasons. If you can figure that out, if you can figure out the pressing, if you can figure out the defense, then the impact of losing Robert Lewandowski can be severely lessened. And that is honestly why I think the bosses have decided to go all in on spending almost 80, 90 million euros on Matthias Delict because they realize that instead of going into the market and buying another striker who is not going to be as productive as Lewandowski, why not buy a defender and try and fix these dogged defensive issues? Because in football, it's always easier to prevent a goal than to score a goal. So if we just prevent a few more goals, it'll be much easier to offset that loss of Robert Lewandowski than it would be if we try and change our entire setup into a more attacking setup and try to maximize the number of goals we score. I just don't see these weird solutions doing anything good for us and helping us be competitive. And I don't think goals are the end-all be-all. What we need to do is win games. And if we want to win games, defense needs to be our focus for this season. Yeah, and obviously close out the games, protecting leads. But I was just going to add in, uh, and schnitzel, to both of your points. I really don't think it matters as much what the the numbers say in the formation uh, from the get-go. I think I was just going to allude to the fact, especially with a player like Thomas Muller, and to me, I have in my mind also Kimmich and Goretzka, whether it says uh, 3-5-2, whether it says 4-2-2-2, whether it says 4-4-1-1, 4-2-3-1, just having the specific instructions, right? So and for my example, in a 4-2-3-1, just so that you're making sure you work Thomas Muller into the side exactly as Schnitzel was talking about, which, by the way, you sounded a lot like uh, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Linders because they're always talking about half spaces, second phase balls. And I can just hear him saying that in his German was the half spaces, second phase balls, you know. Ah, yeah, we do it well. <laughs> um, but anyways, that was actually very good. Muller. Wow. Thank, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, good. after uh, five, six years and then the <laughs> I like the laugh. Boom. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, wow. Giving Muller those specific instructions, right? So it doesn't necessarily matter if on the team sheet he's uh, slightly lined up a little bit wider or uh, retreated, like especially in a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. I think we all know we much prefer him as that player just behind the striker, and that's where he does the most damage. But I think he'll know. He'll know the spaces, the half spaces to go into. He'll know when to retreat if either Kimmich or Goretzka is caught too high up the pitch. He'll know where to be. So I think that matters just a little bit less 
um, than the actual formation itself. But I and I do agree with you so much of this should come down to protecting leads, conceding less goals, because I think the past two seasons have been like kind of the worst for us in that regard, despite Neuer still collecting a fair amount of clean sheets. And I think having a record amount or I think surpassing Oliver Kahn's record at one point, either last season or the season before, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, but that should be the the foundation. I agree, because we definitely concede way too many needless goals and needless situations that are kind of our own doing uh, and of our own creation and, and mistakes that we've made. Um, now, Schnitzel, I know that uh, you have something to say. So before I ask you guys kind of about, you know, the transfer predictions and which ones you think are the most important, I'll let uh, Schnitzel get his re- response in here real quick. Yeah, yeah, just something to sort of, I don't know, add to maybe counter some of Finn's arguments, because I feel like he is a person who is very rigid about things like formations, but I think it's it can be like very fluid. So instead of outrightly just dismissing any formation outside of the four, that was the word I should have used, and, fluid. But it just yeah, uh, and you like know, evaded my uh, my brain when I was talking there. Instantly, just getting out the pitchforks and whatnot, and like hand grenades, <laughs> and just going after everyone who suggests anything that's outside of the four two three one. It's maybe I mean, if maybe like people took time to just appreciate the possibility of entertaining other formations, because okay, we've seen so many different teams in the Champions League have successful years right do they all have uh you know four to three one it's it's, all, it's how many, not like how many teams are more successful than Bayern? i can only think of real madrid liverpool, uh, liverpool has no been more not, not not at all you just get Whoa. you just get to the final hey. and then you lose just go to the they final won a champions league through. and they made it to the finals so yeah, then you yeah. just get to the final and you lose hey we are what carabao is... cup winners okay yeah <laughs> but you can say that i don't double. care about it <laughs> oh my god, that is hilarious. I'm really okay. surprised I've actually look, never look, heard that before. So okay, wait, wait, wait. Hear me out though. You're you're gonna let me speak, okay? I didn't even finish. Nice. I always let you speak all the time. Um, I don't interrupt you. You're the same. You're the same. You're gonna give me my time, okay? So I wanted to say that the formations at Bayern are very fluid. And Nagelsmann's instructions, just like Hansi Flicks, would probably be to press the opponents, try and maximize on the errors and the turnovers, generate fast breaks, score goals, and deploy a less defensively high line than maybe Hansi Flick had, especially given Upa Makano is like prone to errors. And Benjamin Pavard has struggled sometimes to track back in order to prevent goals. But maybe that might change with the lead. But what I'm trying to say is, if it's a 4-2-2-2 or a 4-2-4 or a 4-2-3-1, at the end of the day, what In wants and what I want are like very similar in that we want to see Mane start up front, which is also what I said. But I wanted Nabri to start beside him. In wanted Nabri to start on the wings. I didn't say Thomas Miller would exclusively be a winger. I just said he would be a half-space player. So he would start at the central attacking midfield position. And we know that Thomas Miller never stays in a single position anyways. He doesn't just stand at the 10 like a tree and just make passes. He drifts <laughs> around. He runs. Ram he goes positions that are empty. Yeah, that's his whole game. He chips in with crosses. How many goals have been scored from Thomas Miller crosses? I don't know the exact amount, but I know it's many. Yes. And how is that possible? Because he drifts out wide. So instead of outrightly dismissing the idea of him as a winger, we can maybe entertain the fact that he could drift out wide and come back to the central position while Leo Zani could do the same on the left side. It's not like they have rigid position. The 4-2-2-2 could be a legit lineup if we consider the fact that all these players keep changing their positions and the lineup is fluid. So it's not like this lineup is wrong or this lineup is correct. It's just that we need to see what can suit the team best and what we can do with the personnel available. And I think instead of dismissing a lineup, one could be more constructive about it. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, so in terms of constructiveness, I need to ask you, is there a lack of fluidity in our 4 2 3 one why would not why... Bayern without Lewandowski yet, so I can't say in our in our formation with Lewandowski, would you say there's a lack of fluidity? Because honestly, no. I cannot tell you that there's anything lacking in the four two three one that a four four sorry four two 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 would solve. Okay, you Look, would, Thomas he, Muller, you're telling me you're telling me that Thomas Muller will see spaces and then he'll move out wide and then he'll move back in. He already does that. I mean, look again, you are not doing anything different. You are reinventing the wheel, but it is not fundamentally different whereas something like the 352 it is fundamentally different but it is fundamentally worse that is my entire point either the solutions mentioned are not really solutions they are just small tweaks to the formula that we already had and generally worse tweaks i should mention or they are just straight downgrades and look i get it you want to see us be fluid but look 
first of all, not only do we not lack fluidity in R4231, the idea that an entire attack needs to be completely fluid to score goals is, in my opinion, it doesn't hold up, okay? I don't think there was any kind of lack of fluidity in Hansi Flick's setup. And even then, under him, we won a treble and we scored a record number of goals. And we did that while each and every single player in the attack had very well-defined roles in the setup. You guys keep telling me Thomas Muller knows where to go. He knows where to be. But if you position the players around him in a certain way, he's going to be pigeonholed into a certain role. In the 4 2 2 2 if you have Serge Gnabry constantly attacking the box, Thomas Muller has nowhere to go except out wide to be the provider on the wing. You are basically making him a winger then. You are not giving him the freedom to move into the space that Gnabry normally occupies because Gnabry will be there. And because of that, you are limiting a player that should be as free as possible to move wherever he can go. And in my opinion... Thomas Muller centrally is where he is the most free. He should not be moved into different spots. He should not be used as a central midfielder or as a right winger or anything like that because it will be a negative impact on his influence on the game. And once he starts doing that, Bayern starts looking very predictable, no matter how fluid the attack might be on paper. I, I do kind of agree with Schnitzel. We're all, uh, in different variations, sort of saying the same stuff, just different ways of explaining it. But in, I kind of want to focus on what you had said a few moments ago about the defense being a little bit more important. Because at the end of the day, I think the firepower and the caliber that we have in attack, even without Lewandowski, it should take care of itself. If I'm looking at that personnel in attack, if first off, if Nagelsmann can't figure out how to best utilize that talent, that's his problem because that's a hell of a lot of talent there. And to me, a, a group of talent in attack where there's no reason why we shouldn't be winning the Bundesliga again, especially when our direct rivals have gotten rid of their best striker, who's now at Manchester City. Granted, they've done well in the transfer window, but um, I think as a uh, Mateus or no, I'm sorry, Michael Balak had recently said he feels that they buy two young, inexperienced players to be able to challenge. And that's kind of been their downfall. But we'll see how that goes um, this season. But in going off of that, after last season, yes, we secured the Bundesliga title. Very disappointing in the day after call and the Champions League. Uh, no reason we should have been knocked out by Villarreal as Liverpool showed us when they knocked them out. <laughs> Excuse but, me, Tom. <laughs> in, so with that said, the pressure's already on Nagelsmann this season. Pressure mounted midway through last season after we had a decent start to the Hinrunda. I know we've talked about this before, and it just kind of really started to fall apart and unravel quickly. And I think you'd agree that in the Rook Runda, we kind of just like stumbled over the finish, the finish line. And, you know, our, our victory laps after securing the title were not fantastic and a very hard watch. So with that said, with the transfers that could still take place, I think Schnitzel kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when he was talking about Telt. I think it's quite obvious he wouldn't be coming in and being an immediate production player, uh, someone who's immediately thrust into the starting lineup. I think it would very much be a bit part squad player that could maybe chip away some contributions here and there. Uh, especially in the Bundesliga, maybe in the, the day of April call as well. It'd be a lot to kind of toss a lot of trust on his shoulders for the Champions League. So we'll kind of put that one to the side while it's still a possibility. Uh, but even if you want to throw him into the argument, I mean, why not? So of these three guys, uh, Schnitzel and in, Tell, Conrad Leimer, Matthias Delict, all still in play in the transfer window, right? We have until the end of next month. So with the fact that the pressure is already on Nagelsmann to get it right, Right, Our front office has continuously backed him. Even Oliver Kahn said he wasn't too pleased and very impressed with Nagelsmann's first season. Everybody knows that. I think that's a very well-known uh, point of thought. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find people that think Nagelsmann passed his first season with flying colors. It's quite obvious. So the pressure's on him. He's supposed to be the long-term solution. The front office, as I said, despite the criticism, has backed him. Everything, there's going to be an intense, intense eye on him this season, one false move or a series of false moves, the pressure is really going to mount. So with that said, which of these three signings do you actually see us getting over the line before the transfer window closes? And how much more pressure do you think that will add to Nagelsmann to get it right? So let's say Delict, obviously, because he would become our record signing if all the reported fees that Juventus is asking from us, upwards of 80 million euros, he would obviously become our record signing if that gets over the line. So I'll pose that to both of you. So we'll go uh, Schnitzel and then in. So of those three, Delict, Leimer, and Tell, which of those three do you actually predict getting over the line, if any, um, and which or how many of those guys 
how much more pressure does that add to Nagelsmann, especially, as I said, if it's the lick and it's a record signing. I mean, if he doesn't get that right with a defensive reinforcement like that and the attacking firepower we already have and we've invested in, something's got to give. Yeah, I think uh, Bayern Munich is going to acquire both Matthias Delic and Matitel. But I don't think they're going to go after Conrad Lima because they just don't need him. It's like more and more of a want than a need at this point in time. And do you think not at all or perhaps a free transfer next summer? For I him? don't. Maybe next season, but I don't see it happening this season. And I think Lima might join next season if Zabitzer is a bust. If Zabitzer shows that he's, you know, the player that we signed from Leipzig, then I don't think we'll go after Oh, and I forgot you're a very big Zabitzer fan. Yeah, I, I just really remember that. He gets his mojo back from Leipzig. So I really want to see him perform much better this season. Not in the left back role, which would really disappoint me. <laughs> yeah, I think but we can all if, agree on that. If, if we sign the league, I think Bayern has to. Nagelsmann will have huge pressure on him. Bundesliga is always a given, but the DFB Pokal would also have to be won. And in the Champions League, anything less than a semi final appearance is going to be seen as a failure. So I know that's the usual standard. And I know last season, uh, Nagelsmann didn't, you know, meet usual expectations. But considering that we just lost Lewandowski, I think that would kind of be offset by the signings of Mane and Dilk combined. So you can yeah, kind I of agree. expect the same season as well. But yeah. anything less than a semi-final would kind of be bad for Nagelsmann. I kind of feel bad saying this, but it's just it's going to be two seasons after the next season for Nagelsmann since joining Bayern. His job might be on the line. Yeah, if he doesn't get it right. Yeah, and so you so, think you think Delict and Tal get over the line before August thirty first? I do. I think Brazo is in like super Saiyan mode right now, and he. <laughs> it, I, I think it's a mix of him wanting that contract real bad and also wanting to go out full on for his transfers. It's like they've given him free reigns over the transfers as opposed to maybe having a more controlled approach in previous seasons. But mm. now that he has that ability, I think he's putting his core points to like precise sort of movement. Like he's executing them really well with the PPT slides. So I think he's doing <laughs> a pretty decent job on that. So Ian, how do you feel about that? So I do agree with Schetzel that I think that Matthew is delict and tell these two transfers will get over the line. And in terms of which transfer I think is more important, I think Tell is actually more important. I don't think we need Delict as much as the price tag that we are prepared to pay might say. I think that Delict is honestly massively overpriced. I have watched Juventus a decent amount over the last few years, maybe not as much in the last season, but Delict was always not as good as someone like Giorgio Chiellini. He always had a mistake or two in him. He's more like Diatic Mucano, honestly, in terms of both his development and his abilities, except that he doesn't have Mucano's pace. So when you consider that, I don't see why Bayern Munich is so hell-bent on signing him unless they see something in him that I don't. And obviously that might be very plausible because they have watched thousands of hours of his game footage and they know a lot about him. And Juventus plays very different football compared to Bayern Munich. So they might see him better performing better in our system compared to theirs. That being said, I think Tell is a more important transfer simply because I feel like come one or two months into the season, we are going to have to revisit this striker dynamic. Okay. I don't think that Mane and Gnabry are going to cut it. And we're going to know that very early into the season. And at that point, Nagelton will be forced to either think about using Chupamoting or Tell. And maybe Tell if he is actually as impressive as uh, the media seems to think and all the football Twitter youth team accounts seem to think. If he really is that impressive, then he might be able to contribute for us pretty soon. And in my opinion, we need a proper goal scorer on this team. And we need to get that guy in as soon as possible. We are not linked with any. And this is the reason why I think that Cristiano Ronaldo keeps trying to get his shoe in the door at Bayern Munich because he sees us as a great destination. And he sees that maybe if we go into the season and we are not the first few games, if we are not scoring as much as we think, and the first few games are disappointing, Brazo and Khan might panic a little and decide, okay, let's get Ronaldo in and uh, have him play center forward for us for a season. That is why I think Jorge Mendes has not given up. And so, therefore, I should say that the door is not completely closed on a Ronaldo transfer, no matter what Khan and everyone might say, okay? So you think that's still a possibility, despite what Braza has recently said. Look, imagine that we go into our first few games with, like, draws or losses, which is very possible. Like, that's how it started last time. 
Um, so, and if we don't do well in preseason either, if we, if that's what happens, then I can very much see that Brazo, Khan, and uh, etc. they just change their mind and say, okay, uh, Cristiano, you come here and you fill that striker role that Lewandowski did up yet. If yeah, we don't do that, the, yeah. He bangs in a couple goals for Man U yeah, because obviously just, the Prem starts at the same time as the Bundesliga. Yeah, the um, so if he does that, if that's very possible. And we should remember that Ronaldo moved pretty much on the last day of the transfer window last season. So he's not yeah. above making very late moves. So there is no deadline to this transfer at all. So I can still see that go through in case the Mane Gnabry thing doesn't work out to the extent to like a disastrous extent. But even if it does work out enough for us to say, okay, we can continue with this. We don't need Cristiano Ronaldo. I still want the option of Matty Tell in the lineup to be there in case we need a proper striker. The thing yeah. is, as far as expectations are concerned, um, again, he he has to make the Champions League semifinals. He needs to win the Bundesliga. And in my opinion, he also needs to do well in the DFB Pokal. No, five no losses to Gladbach, please. Yeah, and, yes, please. And <laughs> he also needs to show a qualitative improvement in our gameplay. Like, look, if we make the Champions League semifinals, beating only the likes of Salzburg, um and teams like that okay that is completely possible like you can easily get a very easy run into the semifinals and that's not going to convince anyone he needs to be doing it he needs to get good performances in both the league and the champions league against good teams that is what we're looking for we need to see the defense improve we need to see the attack at least do as good as it can without Lewandowski and we need to see him doing stuff like for example rotating giving minutes to guys like Musiala Stanisic um, you know, possibly even someone like Vidovic, who I don't know if he's going to go on loan or something. If Tal comes in, he needs to give lo- minutes to him. Gravenberg needs minutes. He needs to be rotating. He needs to be integrating players. He needs to be willing to try something new, but not compromise on Bayern's results. And honestly, basically, Nagelsmann needs to do everything better. He doesn't, like, he cannot afford to have another half season like he did um, in the Rukrunda last year. Like, if that's what happens, then I think he genuinely will be sacked before the World Cup. I, I genuinely think that will happen. And so you agree with us, and it's old Limer doesn't happen this summer? I don't think so. I think the reason, like, we won't go much higher than around 20 million unless Juventus capitulate on Delict for a very cheap amount, something like 60 million plus add ons, which is not going to happen. Honestly, I don't think it's going to happen. Unless that happens, I don't see us going for Limer this summer. We'll get him next summer. Because Limer, unlike Zavitzer, he is pretty young. He he can wait a year. What say you to that, Schnitzel? Door potentially still open for you for Ronaldo, or is that something you're not having at all? That's a very interesting question. And I think that Bayern isn't in for Ronaldo this season. I don't think that transfer will happen this season. I believe it's highly unlikely. But I think Brazo might be listening to this podcast and might well take this as a challenge and bring Ronaldo to Bayern after indicating several times that we don't need him at this club. And I think it brings its own host of problems, like number one, the wages. I mean, we would probably have to break our wage structure. I don't see him settling for anything less than 25 million a season for wages. And I don't think that's justified considering we have players who can contribute far more to the team than Ronaldo. Secondly, I believe he might change the team's dynamic in the sense that he is a very, you know, goal-hungry player and he doesn't mind scoring goals, even if it compromises the rest of the attack. He doesn't mind doing things at the expense of the other players in the team. And sometimes we see that that tends to bring entire teams down. And I know many people disagree with, you know, the comparisons to Juventus and Man United, but I feel like they have somewhat regressed with Ronaldo. I know that he has scored quite a lot of goals for them. He's made a huge impact, but they don't play as a team anymore. They, they lose that cohesive structure. And I don't want to see that happening at Bayern. And I don't believe he fits well with the Bayern setup overall, although it might be pretty juicy to have him over, firstly, given his marketability, and second, how well he'll slot into that lineup. So I think we'd just be looking at bringing Matty Tell and sort of grooming him to become the next big Bayern center striker, as opposed to getting Ronaldo here. Now, the uh, scenario that the three of us kind of discussed earlier, so let's say there's a little bit of a drought up front uh, for, let's say, first two, three weeks, maybe three, four matches, including the DFL Super Cup. And let's say Ronaldo bangs in three or four in that amount of time for Man United in the Prem uh, when they start, because remember, they both start at the same time this season, August uh, 5th and 6th, I think, that weekend. So basically three weeks from now, 
even with that scenario, Schnitzel, do you think uh, if that occurs, Ronaldo wouldn't be able to take a bit of a wage cut to come here? I think is that he foreseeable? Scores, I think if he scores quite a lot of goals, that would certainly make the Bayern board think about it, maybe reconsider their position. Because if we tank in the first two or three games, and are we facing Gladbach in the first two or three games? No, uh, but we are facing Frankfurt. No. Yeah, Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Is, oh uh, God. Okay. On the so Friday since, night. Since there are very high odds that we might sell for a draw or even lose our first game, it's quite possible that us not performing well in the first two or three games makes the board consider our position from a squad point of view, especially given it's basically a hit or miss with Gnabry and Sadio Mane. Like if we see them play and if they score goals and everything's, you know, lovely, then we move ahead with this lineup. And if we don't see the same sort of dominance and goal scoring ability in the Bayern's back, then I think we would probably consider Ronaldo, although I still think it'd be highly unlikely that he ends up there. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I would say the one thing that just puzzles me is, uh, you know, the front office and Brazo in particular remaining tight-lipped on certain situations. But if he were to flip-flop on this in particular, whether it's a couple of weeks from now, whether it's uh, the very, very end of August, as we mentioned, if a scenario occurs where there's a, a drought for us and he's just banging in goals left and right, um, for Manchester United, I just I don't see it happening. There's uh like it wouldn't be the first time that Brazo or anyone on the front office has flip flopped on something that they've said. Um, we've kept quiet on things before, and then all of a sudden things have sort of come af- uh, out of left field. Um, especially in that first transfer window that went to like uh, October. Um, we kind of had all these loan and like decision day signings that none of us were expecting. Granted, that's far different than signing a player like Ronaldo both uh, profile-wise and economically. So that's kind of a little bit different. And now we're obviously at a point where we have recovered some of the losses faced or caused, I should say, by the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, Bayern is not uh, impervious to any of those losses, but perhaps handled it a lot better than a lot of other clubs in Germany and a lot of other clubs in Europe, to be quite honest. So now, obviously... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, the problem with like waiting to see if Ronaldo scores for United or not, and then maybe reconsidering the position if Bayern faces a goal drought, is that that significantly improves Ronaldo's position if he does end up scoring a lot of goals. That gives him more leverage in the discussions, and he might end up demanding a higher salary. Not higher from his current salary, but like a salary definitely higher than $25 million a season, and that's a lot of money. And we cannot choose to give such a massive package to a player when we literally just sold Lewandowski because we couldn't pay him the same money for three, se- two or three seasons. So that would be a massive step backwards, in my opinion, for Bayern. And I think if we are signing Ronaldo, it won't be for just one season. We'd probably do like a two-season deal. And I don't think overall that that's very great. And that would very much go against the grain. I mean, I know extension is something different than signing, but right, uh, players over 30 just extending for one year. And obviously there have been some exceptions to that. Uh, players that have been at the club forever, club legends, but it would very much go against the grain. Uh, and I also don't want to know with what we've had for Muller's extension, uh, social media, um, Manuel Neuer having the actual goat to announce his contract, uh, Serge Gnabry doing it at the team presentation and having the video, uh, the slow-mo shots and everything at the Allianz Arena. I really don't know what Ronaldo's unveiling would be like at Bayern Munich. It might just break the internet might just break it all together. And I don't know if uh, our Twitter page would recover. And I know in would just be thrilled with the inundation of all of the Ronaldo fanboys and fangirls on yeah, social I mean, media. Every time you post a tweet, it's just going to be filled with CR7, 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 CR7. <laughs> the replies are just going to be bots spamming CR7 like 24-7. So in, I don't want to see that happen. In how much, how much do you dread that potentially happening? It's going to be horrible. Remember Hamas? Hamas yes, being I do. here, and and that was okay. As soon as Hamas goes one game without starting, suddenly the Hamas stands are like, "Why is he not starting?" Niko Kovac is the worst coach in the history of football. What is happening? What is going on? Bayern are a small club. You should not be disrespecting Hamas like this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now just multiply that by. 10, 20, 100 fold, and you get what CR7 stands on the internet do. They are genuinely just so toxic. I do not want them anywhere near this club. And despite that, I still think there's a chance that CR7 could end up at Bayern Munich. There's just too much smoke for there to not be a fire. And if he really is open to a move here, then I think he might, you know, take a pay cut or whatever to make that move happen. And Maybe Man United, since they seem to be doing well in preseason so far, they will be willing to let him go 
just to not upset their dressing room dynamic that they have with Eric Ten Hag. I think he's going to become CR10 if he, sorry, CR9 if he joins Bayern. And that's uh, miserable. We might, yeah. wow. we, we could, we could convince Gnabry to give up his shirt number. Also, just extending him till 2026. <laughs> yeah. So. Congrats on the extension. By the way, uh, we're going to have to take this back. Uh, uh, if, if we can, we can promote, we can promote Gnabry to number nine. Well, there you go. There you I go. mean, and obviously at Bayern, uh, it's been made a very legendary number. Yeah, so Interesting. Um, that that that's that's how you can sell it to Gnabry. You can be on number nine now, and then he goes straight to the bench because we have CR seven in in right now. Is like uh, you know I've had obviously managing fitness centers a lot of sales, but I've had a, a job before in a direct sales office, and uh, we use like different different platforms to sell stuff. In right now, it's just reminding me of the meme. You know, so when you're training for a sales job, they train you very much to just. Be able to live in the world of rejection. You know, you make a hundred phone calls in one day. You know, uh, ninety-five of them might go south. You might get yelled at. You might get hung up on. You might get people that are very rude. And so basically, it, the meme says like, if there's not a direct no, no matter how vulgar or pissed off they are in the call, it's like so there's still a chance. <laughs> so that's kind of what uh, In's uh, attitude towards Ronaldo is reminding me of. It. And Schnitzel, I don't know how much money you would pay to hear this, but uh, I want to hear. I want to hear a. Uh, uh, financial mark for how much money you'd pay to just hear in do a massive sue because <laughs> I can't I can't picture it or even hear it happening in my head although I want to hear it as we much as I want to hear it it's, not, it's not happening we can get like all the BFW staffers like chip in with like I don't know $50 each and see if that that's not yeah, enough and we'd have to like equate all the currencies from all the different uh, places of the globe that our contributors are yeah. based off of and we could actually that's probably uh, accrue a decent amount of so honestly there's I don't think he'll do it even at gunpoint. So, <laughs> Ian, there's absolutely no chance. No chance. <laughs> what is there? What is there a higher chance of you doing? I would sooner say Thomas Muller sucks. Oh my god! Wow. Oh my god. Okay. Are you I can't serious? Even, I can't even believe just in explanation of yeah. a hypothetical, those words have even left your mouth. I, yeah, I, like I mean, when we yeah, so uh, you so you understand what, yeah. what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Still, and I, I can even... see CS7 coming here. So get ready, you guys. <laughs> I think all of this talk, I think in deep down, like runs a few burner, like Ronaldo Stan accounts with all this talk and everything else is just deflection mechanism to, to say that he thinks they're very toxic. I don't have time to do that. And honestly, they do all the work for me. The devil works hard, but CR7 fans work harder. <laughs> yeah. In wouldn't have to do anything because like literally half the bots around the world are like commenting CR7, dugout, hashtag, hashtag, whatnot. So... You already please go to bind. Stuff. Please, please go to go to bind. Please, yeah. you, you go to bind. You'll be so good, etc., <laughs> etc. Et the world isn't ready for CR7 at bind. These guys have never yeah. even watched a single game of Bind Munich, and they're like, if you go to bind, you'll be so amazing, etc., etc. Even so, during the recent, it's so obnoxious, uh, but yeah, the, the posts unveiling like Sadio Mane and like Graben Birch, they all had like signed CR7 written below them, instead of like congratulating also, or welcoming the players. All the, all the edits of CR7 in the Bayern jersey. I've never oh, yeah. seen this many of any player. Yeah. I don't know how people do that so quick. I really don't. I mean, I and wish I possessed that good. skill. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, I wish I possessed good. that skill. I would have way too much fun with like finding pictures of Chuck <laughs> or like in and putting them with like uh, a jacked Goretzka body or something like that. It's going to be a nightmare one day when like I wake up and then I check my phone. And then I see a tweet with like Ronaldo wearing a Bayern jersey. And then I dismiss it because it's probably another made up tweet. And then I find out that they actually signed him. I'm probably going to be crying that day. You'll know because you'll know because Twitter won't even open. It'll just break it. Oh yeah, Um, that is true. And and I'll be, I'll be like riding over to Twitter headquarters, calling up Elon Musk or whoever the hell is going to like own it. I don't even know what the hell is going on with that and be like, Hey, make sure BFW gets back on because it's the most important account on there. We have a, we have a big following. We have to make sure they're okay after this news. But yeah, I mean, we've discussed a lot. I mean, I think Ian is, uh, wants to say one last thing before we close here. So I'll uh, let him go ahead and do that. Yeah, so uh, as you guys might know, we have been nominated for an award on World Soccer Talk, the podcast. Yes. And if you guys are listening to this and you've listened so far, please, please vote for us on that website. The link will be in the description of this podcast. Please go and vote for us. We are several hundred votes behind a Spurs podcast and we cannot lose to Spurs, okay? We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. So please vote for us. Vote as many times as you can. Get VPNs, get burners. Do whatever you can. 
but vote. <laughs> it's serious. It's serious. Okay, go and vote as much as you can. Yeah. We cannot lose to a Spurs podcast, please. I was going to say, just remember what happened when it was uh, Bayern versus Spurs on the pitch. That's what we need to happen. On yeah, the we need that. We need we need one of you to turn into Gnabry. So please do that. <laughs> vote as many times and as you can. You can vote multiple way, guys, times in a yeah, week. Exactly. So remember that. You can vote multiple times and you can also vote using different IP addresses. So do that as well. If you have multiple I devices. Can confirm, can confirm, despite being a big Anfield rap fan, I have not voted once for them. Bavarian football works multiple times. So I'm saying that on the airwaves, despite conspiracy theories that are floating about within BFW, BPW, and, and probably elsewhere, uh, you know, because in just gets so pissed every time I mention Liverpool on this podcast. But nonetheless, gents, we covered a lot. I know there's been a lot to digest lately as a Bayern, Bayern fan and, you know, as the Bayern community, but I think we did a good job. I liked the three-man booth once again, bouncing ideas, bouncing arguments off of one another. And, and thankfully, by the end of this, uh, Schnitzel and in have not uh, killed each other. You know, it's, it's been all constructive despite their contrasting and varying views and Myself kind of playing mediator. It's always fun. I, sometimes I feel like the uh, the referee in the middle of a uh, a wrestling ring. I don't know how that would actually go <laughs> physically if that were to happen in real life. But nonetheless, guys, thanks again for listening. Obviously, as In just mentioned, with that link provided from World Soccer Talk, please, we would appreciate every vote if you could go ahead and vote as many times as you can. It would mean the world to us and everyone at BFW, not only just those of us that contribute to BPW and listen and put work towards BPW. Uh, again, it would be very, very, very great of you to vote as many times as you can. And as always, thanks again for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you use to listen to podcasts. Be sure to recommend us to friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, random people, even if you will, that you think might be uh, football fans in addition to Bayern Munich Bundesliga fans. Uh, and until next time, thanks again for listening. Auf Wiedersehen.